was asked, you know, hey, how's it going? How you doing? You know, my mom wanted us to respond with, I'm great. It's good. I'm good. You know, everything's great. (laughs) That was kind of like how we were to respond to any, because people don't want to really know. I don't remember if we were out in public and there was something where someone asked, hi, how are you? You know, as I was a younger kid and either maybe I was too quiet to respond or I'm not sure how I responded but I remember when we got home that was one of the times that she said when people say how are you doing you say I'm great that's how we respond and I was like what I think at one time I'm when I was maybe a little older I probably said well, what if I'm not great <laughs> and she said well they don't want to hear about that the Story Enneagram podcast. I'm Jim Gum, and I'm an Enneagram trainer and coach living in Kansas City. Today, we're going to hear from some self-preservation fours as part of this season's series on the self-preservation subtypes. The Enneagram self-preservation four is called tenacity. They are stoic, calm, and long-suffering. They venture to express the richness of their inner world less dramatically than other fours. Since it's a countertype, the passion of envy is much less evident than in the other fours. They don't suffer in a way that other fours typically suffer. Beatrice Chestnut has said that she wanted to dedicate her book, The Complete Enneagram, to the self-preservation fours because there were so few descriptions of this subtype in the Enneagram literature. Have you ever masked your personal challenges by presenting a brave face? Today, we're going to listen to stories from self-preservation fours to understand their drives and how they are expressed through their actions more than their emotions. As you heard Janelle share in the opening, self-preservation fours are less likely to share what's really going on with them. In her case, it was what she was instructed to do by her mother. Other fours like Janelle have different backstories. Listen to how Eric describes his experience. Um, I was always a seven or an eight originally. I don't think I'm a perfect fit for my job. So I, a lot of other people doing the job made me angry. So I think in the world of my profession, I was seen more as an eight, where if you look, you look back in my life, I was clearly the Peter Pan in the 18, 19, 20, like fun as can be. Like I've really masked pain by making other people laugh. If everyone could laugh and feel good, then I would feel good. That was kind of my MO. Um, My parents were divorced right before I went to college. Um, I think that wrecked my world. And um, I wrote a short story in college my senior year. It was about... Um, a little boy being abused. And I had had that blocked out of my memory until the moment I stuck the paper through my professor's uh, door. That's when it all came rushing in. I was like, holy crap, I just wrote a story about myself. Eric believed he was a seven because he wanted to make people laugh. It wasn't until he began to tell himself the truth about his story that he understood that it was a front to mask pain. 
his suffering was not only hidden from others, but from himself as well. The self-preservation four is sometimes called the sunny four. It's radically different from the stereotype of the more melancholic social four. In fact, one of my social four friends was adamant that there was no such thing as a sunny four. It couldn't exist. Listen to how Katrina describes her outlook. I understand the phrase sunny four. I think I can be very sunny. If you meet me and we haven't met before, I am going to be accommodating and hospitable and kind. But internally, that whole time we're meeting, I'm going to be thinking, oh my gosh, what do they think of me? Am I... Uh, cool enough? Am I smart enough? Was what what I just said kind of offensive or really weird? Do they know I'm really weird? I guess it is kind of a way that I can come off as sunny, but I've just learned again that this is a more acceptable way to be in the world than to lead with my sadness or my weirdness, my melancholy. Each one shaped how they appeared to others by creating something more acceptable. Whether it was due to parental expectations, social cues, or personal trauma, the message was clear. You don't wear your heart on your sleeve. The typical four will indulge their emotions, and when sad, will attempt to amplify them through introjection, bringing something from the outside into oneself to experience that as reality. For example, if a traditional four feels sad, they might listen to sad music to enhance their sadness. Yet, here's Janelle's experience as a countertype. One thing I kind of noticed that's different about, like it seems like a lot of fours will go into a melancholy kind of mood and they'll want to watch a very melancholy movie. And I think about that, but then I think, nope, got to stay happy. <laughs> so I'll, I'll be feeling really bad, but I'll want to watch a funny movie. Even though I love those movies, you know, I love like really well done dramas and, you know, just really great complex plot, just like really well done movies. But when I'm feeling roughed up or something, I'll avoid that. Fours experience the world differently than the other types. They see and envision things that others miss. They orient around the phrase, something is missing. It's as if every other person in the world came with a full set of parts, but they did not. Here's how Katrina describes the recognition of her type. Well, I had taken, I think, every personality test possible. And being the four that I am, I never really felt like I fit in any of them. And then it was a friend of mine who gave me a book about the Enneagram. And I was just, because I was still searching to find that perfect fit, I read the whole thing. And when I read the description, the chapter on the four, it just got me. Uh, it just described the inner world, the inner workings um, of what I had felt my entire life, of not really feeling like I fit. So that was really exciting and affirming to know that um, I wasn't the only one out there. Also, though, the flip side was I remember reading that book and thinking, 
well, I'm probably the only four I know. Katrina makes an interesting point. The initial excitement of finding out one is a four can be followed by disappointment that there are others. My friend Anthony said, I resonated so deeply with the four's experience reflecting my reality until I realized that I was just an ordinary four. Ordinariness is like kryptonite to the four. Here's Eric's experience. I, I was just in a constant state of no one ever gets me. And I can, re- I can remember so many. I'm so excited about something that no one else is excited about, like a story or, or an event or all the things. And so I think being burnt by being over-exuberant over certain things for a certain time just left me like, well, I guess it's just me and you, Lord. We're going to, I'll tell you. And then you made me this way. It's hard to feel like no one ever gets you. It's part of the sadness all the heart types feel when they're unseen. And the four wants to be seen for who they really are, their uniqueness. Part of being unseen is that there's just so much going on underneath the surface. Listen to how Janelle shares about her childhood. Yeah, I think that's one thing that was interesting about reading the self-preservation four, and maybe fours in general, but they have a very, like an extremely active, daydreamy, floating off. And I mean, I was like very filled out with many characters, stories going on in my head, like full on movies. (laughs) You know, I have a very big exercised imagination because from my kid on the outside, I'm sure I was, it looked like I was just sitting there, but I was like in a full on, you know, story mode and coming up with all these different, you know, scenarios and stories and making all these exciting lives in my mind, you know, living in other countries and meeting all these different people and then, you know, something crazy would happen. And I, you know, I and somebody else could be sort of somewhat detective kind of stories or there, you know, there are just all these like fantastical kind of (laughs) movies that I would like create in my mind and have, you know, (laughs) but on the outside, I'm sure I'm just like sitting in the corner. She's a bump on a log. (laughs) Listen to how Katrina contrasts her childhood experience with her adult experience. Early on, I was like, I I had big, big emotion in my family. Uh, just those sad days where like nothing could pull me out of like how sad I was. And I remember trying to uh, get my family to meet me there or maybe a good friend to meet me there, but was always seen as dramatic or too much. I remember long, I would, (laughs) I would lay on the kitchen floor, like in the middle of like all the traffic of my family, looking up at the ceiling and just crying. And I mean, it must have been so annoying. I'm a mom now, I understand (laughs) That's a very inconvenient place for a kid to lie down and start crying. But I think it was my way of wanting to invite someone into like all that I was feeling. And I really just wanted someone to come lay down next to me. Self-preservation fours are characterized by their stamina in spite of the depth of emotions that they may be experiencing. It's as if that internal drama can be used as a fuel for external action. 
Here's how Katrina contrasts her older self with her younger self that wanted someone to join her on the floor of the kitchen. So I was a really good kid. I was high achieving. I looked probably like a three, maybe a one. I was the student government president, the lead in the musical, involved at church. I never got in trouble. If I got in trouble, it was like my world was ending. So it all looked from the outside like I was very success-oriented, the good, good kid, which, you know, doesn't really vibe with a lot of the four energy. But internally... I still had that incredible, like, emotional uh, chasm that I would <laughs> swim in. And um, I think I really thought that if I could just work hard enough, uh, achieve enough, show the world that I was good enough, that this chasm would fill up and uh, it wouldn't be there anymore. I think a thing for the four is they want to belong. I want to belong. Listen to Eric's experience and how it strengthened his self-preservation instinct. I'm an Air Force brat. We moved around every two to three years before college. Um, my parents were going through a divorce that our, the kids didn't really know about. And so I think being uncared for through situations. Like I remember getting, I got punched in the face in our neighborhood when we were growing up in England. And I had like no idea why I was punched, but I remember going home crying, expecting my parents to do something. And with a hierarchy of like rank, I think now I know my dad couldn't do anything because the kid's dad outranked him. But it really was like, oh, I guess I'm gonna have to do all of this on my own. I think that's that's where the self-preservation really grew. And then moving, you know, good move to a new town, like. Your parents can't go to school with you. Like you're going to go into that building by yourself and you are either going to survive and thrive. The jokey fault seven me was able to survive. I think I would, had a lot of self-autonomy. No one knew that I did. Like I kept so many things under wraps that no one was really aware that anything was going on with me. Janelle's tenacity shows up when she's fully immersed in a creative project. I think some of that is the working all all day, nine, ten hours, and then going home and being with a family and then going at 10 o'clock at night to go create this large designed installation. I think fours like to be seen as interesting and different and special in some ways. Uh, work was just kind of, it was a big company, so you're just kind of one of the mix. And so being creative was something I felt like I, I almost just had to do just to kind of be somebody. And so the only way to do that was like all night long. So I would just go to these crazy lengths. Now when I look back on it, I'm like, I, I like never slept for 10 years. Like I remember when my daughter said, you have a lot of energy for an older mom. <laughs> Because they just saw me like constantly going and constantly doing stuff, put them to bed, and then I go up and spend another five hours working on something. Each of the subtypes of the Enneagram 4s have different expressions, and they can be understood with their relationship to suffering. The social force suffers, the sexual force makes others suffer, 
But the self-preservation four is long-suffering, like the person who can pull an all-nighter to get something done. There's a stoicism present. Janelle shares about how she was shaped as a child. Uh, I have three older brothers. You didn't talk about your feelings. You didn't talk about controversial issues. You didn't talk about anything, you know, personal. You just kind of put your head down and were a hard worker and got things done and did the family proud. There was no air in the house for that kind of emotional you know, my brothers would just be beating on me and I'd be like, you know, ah. you know, and I would hear from the other room her saying, just take it because she thought I was being overdramatic and she wanted me to like learn how to take it. Here's Katrina's experience. I think the message was it's too much. You've been sad about this and it's time to be finished being sad about this or th- The message also was, I don't understand why you're sad about this. And then also the message was, stop it. (laughs) And I did. Uh, My mom got leukemia when I was a senior in high school. I'm the baby of the family. There's, I'm the youngest of four. And even though I've really tried to bottle up all those feelings, my family knows I'm very emotional. I I cry here and I I was the baby of the family. Of course, I'm going to cry. But my mom got sick and I went into lockdown mode. I really felt so solid. I remember this feeling of I am going to be the rock here while I watched everyone else fall apart. They were all really upset. And I remember my brother in the elevator at the hospital just checking in with me. He said, are you okay? You're not crying. Are you processing this? I knew there was only so much emotional space in the room and that I could do this work this emotional work somewhere else, like away, because that's that's the mode I was in. Self-preservation for, even though they're in the heart center, is often characterized by how little emotion they express. That's their growth opportunity. Emotions are valuable. They let us know things. They don't need to be suppressed. Here's Eric again, relating how an emotionally-based therapy began to open him up. I would do EMDR every day if I could. Like, it really was transformational. You know, I used to write everything down in a journal because I was afraid I would miss something. So I would write everything down, conversations, any studies. And I do this Lectio Divina, Lectio 365 app. And I bet you um, a single tear comes out of my my right eye. I went perfectly still almost every time. Like, And it's like my body is beginning to catch up to what I've learned about, you know, soul care and self-awareness. Katrina shares about how she's working with her feelings of envy. Over time, fours can learn how to have their emotions, but not allow their emotions to have them. I live in Fort Collins, close to this really cute older district called Old Town. I'll ride my bike through it and I will 
just that envy will pop up. I want that house with that porch and that beautiful hydrangea bush. And my house doesn't look that way. So I can just be really mad about that maybe for a sec. But then usually it's, okay, what, let's, let's re-landscape. Let's remodel our, you know, front porch sitting area so that I can have, and I'm going to have thrifted furniture that no one else has. It's going to look beautiful. So that's kind of how the self-pres stuff comes in with my NB, I would say. With time and growth, I've learned to ride through like the, the fancy, cute neighborhood and instead say, I don't have to own it. I don't have to be a part of it to enjoy it um, and bring me delight. And that kind of lets me off that hook too of constantly needing to work to to become special and maybe just to find the delight that's already there in the world. Eric has been working with teenagers for over 20 years. Listen to his perspective on how his younger experience fuels his vocation. I don't think there's a, a week goes by that I'm not in a conversation with an adolescent boy where I don't think, man, I wish someone was talking to me like this. I'm so grateful that God has used my pain for good. You know, and that, 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 you know, when you're talking about abuse and a whole bunch of other things, it takes a long time to get over. You know, I would never allow these things to happen to my kid. Why did you allow it to happen to me? But I, I really am reminded weekly of so many stories in kids' lives that are wretched and being able to help them walk through how to think about it and how to deal with it and how to cope with it. I'm very humbled and thankful for that. One of the things I appreciate most about type fours is their empathy. They can be with another in their pain and their hurt. They can sit with a person in need. Equanimity allows them to be in the midst of all the feelings and not allow them to get off center, to remain present and appreciate the richness of the emotional life for the gift that it is, both to themselves and everyone around them. That's it for this episode of the Story Enneagram Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you or someone you know is a four who feels misunderstood for who they are, you've come to the right place. Wouldn't it be great to work with your emotions instead of them working on you? Visit my website at storyenneagram.com. I offer Enneagram team building experiences and training for businesses, schools, and nonprofits. I also offer personal coaching packages for individuals or couples. Drop me a line and let's explore what the Enneagram can do for you. Please subscribe to the Story Enneagram podcast. Share it with your friends and family. And if you're really feeling it, leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate it. Our music is by Daniel Gum. You can hear his music on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And yes... We do have the same last name. Story Enneagram, where learning your type is just the beginning of a whole new story. Story.